Peace Corps gives us a chance to show a side of our country which is too often submerged. Our desire to live in peace, our desire to be of help. There can be no greater service to our country and no source of pride more real than to be a member of the Peace Corps of the United States. This is this is this is this is my my Peace Corps Peace Corps my Peace Corps my Peace Corps story story story. Hey everybody! Uh, today we're going to be doing something a little bit different. This is a bonus episode. Uh, earlier this week on Tuesday, I released an episode with my friend uh, Shiv, and he talked about his time in Botswana. Well, hey everyone. He, hey. Well, <laughs> uh, he actually also read my book, uh, so he was kind enough to to purchase it. He read it, and he he really liked it. And hopefully, he wasn't just flattering me when he said that. Uh, but he wrote back a bunch of questions that he had to sort of explore further. And we started talking about similar experiences. And I also know that he's interested in how I went about writing and self-publishing. So I thought, well, I'm interested in hearing your Peace Corps story. So how about you come on the podcast? I'll do, you know, the traditional style interview that I've been doing for the show. And then we'll do a secondary interview where you can interview me. And I also know that you're sort of interested in podcasting as well and talked about doing your own show. So this is your first episode of your podcast. <laughs> so, awesome. So you are, in the, you are in the driver's seat now. So uh, take over. Yeah. Well, happy to be here, Tyler. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to interview you now. Um, and uh, I'm sure, like, like you said earlier, I read your book and I tend to have a system when I read books. Like I literally, whether it's, nonfiction, fiction, a biography, you name it, I will literally dissect the crap out of a book if I need to. So you will see me with like an, uh, preferably like a physical book um, and ha- with, a pen in, with, a, with a pen in hand, like underlying certain lines and folding pages and circling certain passages. And um, it's, it's even better when I have direct access to the author to ask him specific questions regarding the book or specific thoughts or instances. So this is like an awesome opportunity that hopefully people um, people can enjoy. And so, you know, I, I understand that you you self-published this whole book by yourself. Is that right? Like you like you didn't go through a traditional publisher at all? Uh, no, I did not. I had sent it to a few different people that it, it piqued their interest. And I, I, I wanted to move a little bit faster <laughs> than I think yeah. the uh, traditional publishing route would allow me. So I was like, no, like I, I started the book um, last October, actually, when I decided, you know, no, I'm going to write this book. And I had a goal of actually getting it out. And on my three-year anniversary of when I returned uh, from Peace Corps, I actually missed it by a week, uh, which, you know, oh, man. Not, not too bad. Uh, but so I had this goal. I was like, no, I'm going to start writing this book, and this is when it's coming out. So I... Yeah, so I ended up self-publishing. I sort of created my own little publisher's imprint uh, called Lloyd Media uh, Publishing Company. Uh, Let's say, I was like, you sound very fancy, my friend. Yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> it's not that hard. You just file some paperwork with uh, your uh, local government. So, and oh, can, really? Yeah, you know, it's it's not it's not too hard. It's more or less a doing a uh, doing business as form. So if people mm-hmm. want to to look up that, so I'm a sole proprietor doing business as a Lloyd Media Publishing Company. Uh, gotcha. ho- hopefully one day we'll turn that into more of a real thing, you know, an LLC and, you know, maybe make this a, a full-time career. But yeah, so that's that's what I did. I self-published it. Yeah. So, I mean, let's talk about a little bit about the process, your writing process. So, like, 
you said you started this book, what, last year, October? And like, how did you go about crafting this book in terms of like deciding the structure and gathering notes for it? And, you know, what was your daily activity while writing the book? Like, did you just go to work and then come home and just immediately start writing? Like, yeah, bring, tell us more about that process. Like from initial, I'm, I'm guessing initial conception when you thought about like, hey, I want to write about my experiences. Um, up until when you, at least you have like a, a, a final rough draft per se. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess, I guess you, since you read the book uh, towards the end, I sort of break the third wall and I actually start contemplating within the book about writing a book. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I had this idea um, while I was going through this, you know, very, you know, sort of traumatic experience at the end of my service, which we can uh, talk about a little bit later if you'd like. And I knew that I wanted to to write something or I had enjoyed just journaling and blogging and it was really enjoyable for me and I thought well maybe I could write a book and I got back from Peace Corps sort of started dabbling with, with the project um, then grad school got in the way in life and then one year became two years and then I was I sort of realized you know I I want to write a book. I want to write a book about my experience. And every year that I wait, it's going to be less and less likely. So that's when I yeah, said... Yeah, totally. Procrastination at its finest, my friend. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so I, I decided, you know, I turned uh, 29 uh, last October. And I was like, no, I'm going to publish this book before I'm 30. I'm going to... That's what I want to do. I'm going to publish a book. So once I started, uh, I had a general idea of how I was going to write the book, that it was going to follow a a three-week timeline of this one experience that I had, but then weave in all these other stories. So I started writing down, you know, what are the stories and themes that I want to make sure that I hit um, when I'm talking, you know, those relationships and other little tiny experiences that I had throughout the 27 months. So I knew everything that I wanted to, I guess, try to get into the story. And I read through uh, my previous journals and I had taken a ton of photos of video and started going through those to sort of refresh my memory and sort of see things in a, in a different light and start to put it all together. And then when I actually started writing, uh, I'm, a, I'm a morning person. So I actually ended up waking up at 4, 4.30 in the morning every day. Holy crap, man. <laughs> yeah. And because I, I normally wake up at five five thirty, so I'm only waking up an hour earlier, so it doesn't sound that bad. But if someone, yeah. for someone who like might wake up at like seven thirty, four thirty, four thirty, oh my god, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> so it was only an hour earlier than I was used to waking up, so it's not too crazy. But you must have. I mean, I think we talked about this. Like, you must have gone to bed at like nine or something. Yeah. Uh, since I tend to wake up at uh, pretty early, by the time ten o'clock rolls around, like my head hits the pillow and I am out. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I have had a full day, so I'm, I'm done. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I was waking up and spending two hours writing before I went to, you know, the day job, the nine to five. And I would just sit down at my kitchen table, open up my laptop and pick up where I, where I left off. And, you know, as you might were know. You, yeah, were you trying to hit like a certain word count or a certain part like we're you were trying to trying to get at per I, se? I wanted a first draft um, done by the 
end of December, which quickly became me saying, no, the end of January, which quickly became, nope, the end of February. <laughs> uh, so I did have a goal that I missed uh, in, in that regard. And I first thought that I would say, okay, you know, my goal each day is a thousand words. Um, and f- over a two hour period, you think, oh, it's a thousand words. You'll write 500 words your first hour and 500 yeah. words your second you, you hour. Try to, you try to put a metric to it like that. <laughs> yeah. No, <laughs> it, it ended up being about 45 minutes to an hour and 15 minutes of me staring blankly at my computer. Yeah, that sounds pa- about right. <laughs> pa- like pacing in my living room, laying on the floor, just like like doing anything and everything, but it's you know four thirty in the morning, so there's only so much you can do. Just like trying to avoid writing and like finding an excuse, but like maybe I'll just go back to bed. Like no, today's not the day. Uh, yeah. But eventually, I I wrote about a hundred thousand words of of a book, and then wow. st- and then started self editing and carving away all the fluff um, that you end up writing to get it down to an eighty thousand uh, word book, which then I sent to some very willing friends who. Uh, continued the editing process and commenting on the book and worked from there. Yes. So when you when, did, did you use a specific software or did you use Microsoft Word to when you wrote this thing? Yeah, just Microsoft Word. I know there are other softwares like Scrivener that help you organize chapters and ideas. And I think if it was a, a different book that um, didn't have such a concrete timeline of that three weeks, it would have been better to use some other software if it had been a different style book. Uh, but since I was more or less going sequentially and I knew these stories that I wanted to weave in, but it was really interesting in the writing process that sometime I would start and be like, okay, on, on this day, you know, it's like June 2nd. Like I know what happened on June 2nd. So I start writing about June 2nd and going through the events and, you know, it, embellishing a little bit, trying to add those extra uh-huh. details and bringing in past events. And then all of a sudden I would have this memory of something else that happened that's sort of tangentially related to it. And then I'd be like, okay, well, okay, I'm going to go there now. And I would explore this and I would start writing this whole little piece that I never planned on writing. And I was like, oh, I really like that. Okay, cool. <laughs> okay, now let's put it back on track and get back to you know moving the story along. So there was stuff that I ended up writing about that I didn't like write down on my initial list of these are all the little stories that I'm going to include in the book. Yeah, because like, I mean, uh, I mean, I was reading your book and I was like, you know, it, it, and I know you talked about even at towards the end, like in the afterward about how like, you know, some of these stories are mixed in with some others and names are changed. And, um, you know, like you said, like you, you think of another story that happened. And so I think it's a really really interesting process of trying to, you know, in this like cauldron in your head that's mixing folded with like stories and people of trying to like make sure like you put everything down on paper in a very cohesive way, but make sure you're not necessarily, you're staying true to the subject material or like what exactly happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I definitely didn't want to write uh, a book of like just a bunch of short stories, which I easily could have done, you know, and said, okay, here's, here's one little story and here's another little story but they all tie into an overall experience of good and bad of my service. So I wanted to, to weave them all in. And there's, there's several stories that just, that didn't make it in there. Like once I got to writing, it's like, well, while this is a, maybe a funny antidote or a little thing, it's not worth putting in a book, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe it'll be a, the second edition. We'll have some short stories tacked on the end. If I ever decide to write more about my Peace Corps service, but 
I would definitely say for a writer, you there comes that realization that less is more. I think if I had forced those stories in there, it would have been blatantly obvious. There's like, okay, you're just trying too hard. So I had to make sure that the story just came out along the way. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure, you know, there, uh, there have been other Peace Corps volunteers or people who have traveled um, extensively or served in developing countries that who also have written their own um, memoirs or short stories or uh, autobiographies. Um, is there, I mean, it, did you, did you keep that in mind when you were writing it? Is there something that you want to do? Di- I mean, you want to do differently from them or like some of the stuff that you took away from seeing or knowing those, those material out there, that literature out there? Um, yes. So I had read, there's several different uh, collections of Peace Corps stories. I read maybe two or three when I was in Peace Corps, um, just from books that were lying around the transit house and floating around uh, amongst volunteers. They were more that style of those collections of stories. So I had never mm-hmm. read uh, a, a book like mine. I know there's several out there that are more cohesive stories. And from the stuff that I had read, they were sort of one-off, like high-low moments, but they never got really into a lot of the, the psychological stuff of, of Peace Corps and the self-doubt and the, the self-talk and de- sort of depression and those things. And I really wanted to show that side and also not be afraid to show myself in a negative light. Cause yeah, all- I was... I was going to say that, I mean, it's like you were completely um, like full frontal in terms of like your vulnerability and your emotions in this book. Like you, you laid it all on the table. It seems like what you were going through, both good and bad. And like you even like sort of were self-critical of yourself, um, especially when it came to your relationship with other people during your time when all this was happening. Like, could you talk about like the, the mentality of like, one, accepting, like you said, wanting to convey those emotions, but then also getting over that sort of hump of like kind of being like kind of writing down your uninhibited self um, at the time where you were just going through a lot of different different things. Mm-hmm. Like, I guess I'll I'll start one place and then, and then go back to the question. Uh when I, you know, published the book, like when it went live and I sort of announced to everybody that day, it was, you know, during the work week and I had this like mild of panic attack. It was like, oh crap, like did I overextend, did I overshare? Like maybe there's a reason that people don't talk about this stuff that I, ju- <laughs> that I just talked about because you're not supposed to. Like, are, oh, Tyler's crazy now. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like maybe I went too far. Yeah, um, but I'm I'm glad that I did because I've got a bunch of positive feedback for for doing just that and being raw and open and critical of myself. And I mean, we're not perfect, you know. Oh, every, no. every everybody knows that they're not perfect, but I think we live in a world in a society today where everything you do is curated. Um, via social media and, yeah and, it's like you're like comparing somebody said it best like you're you're comparing your practice session against everybody's highlight reel pretty much yeah exactly you know if you're living by instagram worthy moments and everything on on sort of social media is either you're showing how awesome you are or you're complaining about something 
but yeah, it, but totally it's, true. <laughs> it's like okay, or you know, like cat videos. So there's like through like the, that's the 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 pie chart. Hey man, of, of, I can't know. get enough of cat videos. Yeah, I mean, you got to put in some dogs in there too. But yeah, yeah, I, you know, I, <laughs> I love 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 the good animal videos, but I I wanted to open up and I felt and I I think I succeeded in this that by being real with myself and what I was going through would help people connect with me on a deeper level and make maybe make them more interested in those superficial stories that they had gotten to know me on a much more emotional level so then when I talked about you know I guess the the stock stuff of Peace Corps and you know I think I said in there somewhere that you know you always talk about the things you ate the things you saw and the parasites oh, you picked yeah. up along it's the like, way I can I can even pull up this uh, because I highlighted that quote. Um, where was it? It's like it's. Um, we'll keep talking. I'm gonna find it now. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. So you know, you always tell those stories, but I felt that you know I still wanted to tell those stories because they're they're fun stories, um, but they would mean so much more if I allowed people to connect to me on a real level. And the only way that I thought I could do that was just being open that I am an imperfect human that I have self doubt and self talk constantly going on in my mind. And yeah, just, just being real with what was going on and not trying to sugarcoat it. And also I hope that I didn't like over dramatize it as well. Like I didn't want it to be that sort of thing. Cause I did grapple with the fact that in the end I was publishing a book that hinged on, I mean, if anybody reads the bio, that I, during my COS conference, or COS um, medical, that it showed that I tested positive for HIV. Well, yeah, I remember I remember reading that bio and texting you, going like, dude, what? You got you were HIV positive? And I was like, all right, now I got to read this book now. What exactly happened? Yeah. Um, and, but and I also found the quote. It's like, unless you've been knee deep in the superb mess that is the Peace Corps, it was it is, was hard to define and understand. Because of this, conversations about Peace Corps defaulted to the exotic aspects of a volunteer service, the things we saw, the things we ate, and the parasite we picked up along the way. You and me both, man. Definitely that parasite, for yeah. sure. So, <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, those, those are good stories, but I, I didn't want it to be like, you know, that highlight reel of, oh, yeah. of, of well, the I best think of the it's... best. Yeah, I mean, it's it's something that I kind of remarked upon uh, during our initial interview where, you know, people come up to you and ask you, like, how was Africa? And, you know, for whatever reason that they ask that, it's like, you know, that's like, it's a pretty loaded question uh, because, you know, it's like it's two years of your life mm-hmm. that, you know, that they want. And it's something that you're like, well, how much of an answer do you want? Do you want like the five minute elevator pitch or like the 10 minute sort of what a medium conversation or do you like want to grab grab a meal or a coffee or a drink and have where I can tell you exactly what what happened you know you talk about specific individuals in the book and mm-hmm. your relationship with them um how how was it like you know you published the book and now you there I'm sure there might be a chance of these individuals reading your your book and hearing or like at least thinking of the thoughts that you were thinking at the time and, you know, I know you changed the names and, um, made sure everything was anonymous, but like, you know, how, 
has has these people reached out to you um, in any sort of way regarding like, hey, like, why? I I mean, just because the name changes, I know I know who like who you're talking about when I'm reading about it. Like, has has any or like you're talking about me in this sort of sense? Like, has anyone reached out to you in that in in that capacity? Not yet. So there are a few <laughs> there there are a few people um, that I sent copies of the book to that I I wrote about in the book and. Um, some of them, like not all the names are changed. So some of those people, like their names are who they are. And for those people, I sort of, I reached out to almost the vast majority of people that I talked about in the book. And I sort of I asked them, Hey, I'm writing this book. Here's what I'm writing about. Um, I'll gladly send you the passages where I talk about you. Do you want me to change your name? And some people, it went without saying, it's like, Nope, changing their name, not even asking them. Um, yeah. But these other people that, you know, had more minor roles or had other experiences along the way, I, I reached out to them and, you know, they were perfectly fine with it. And they were also supportive and said, you know, I'm really, you know, excited for you to be writing this. I look forward to reading it. Uh, but it's only been out for a month as of re- recording this now. So I haven't had, uh, I've yet to have anybody who I actually served with um, give me feedback on the book. So I'm I'm waiting for that. Yeah, well, because I I'm, I'm always curious because I you know I think if I ever talk about my experiences like uninhibited like just full on like no full blown honesty like I I'm always like slightly afraid that my country director which I I'm re- who I'm really cool with like might come back and be like seriously man that's what you did like come on man like <laughs> so I definitely definitely tiptoed on the lines of like Peace Corps rules or like some sort of like gossip that happened over, over yonder while serving. Uh And I, and I, and I did try to keep it, you know, this wasn't a salacious tell all of the, the goings on of all volunteers in Burkina Faso from 2012 to 2014. You know, it was me and my story and I only talked about other volunteers when it was necessary to move my individual story along. You know, it, it wasn't that I was, you know, talking about other people's experiences and their rumors and telling their stories. No, that that's their story to tell. I'm not, I'm not going to tell their story. But when our stories cross paths and I, you know, I, I, I need to talk about them a little bit or to help sort of paint the larger picture of, you know, Peace Corps for me and Peace Corps at large, um, I, I, I did so, but I... I did so very carefully because I know yeah. a lot of the stuff that I said, you know, I wrote the hundred thousand words and then cut it out. A lot of that stuff that I cut out were stories that I, on second pass, I was like, I, I can't say this. I, while it is something that is special to me and my service, it's, it's too much about someone else. And I, I cannot, I can't share it. It's, it's not for this venue. It's not a conversation to be had and, you know, published for the world to read. Um, you know, these, those memories will be mine to hold. Uh, and, you know, I will, I'll probably share them with other people. Um, but it's not, that's not the venue for me to, to do yeah, that. Yeah, it's not something to print out on, like, in a book. And, yeah, yeah I know you mentioned, uh, like, you know, I, you mentioned in the, in the book, like, something called the, the Peace Corps rumor mill, which is mm-hmm. like something I'm sure all volunteers have experience with where, you know, it's, it's, I, I kind of compare it to, to the Peace Corps in terms of the social aspect a little bit to high school where, you know, we're, there's only a certain number of 
Americans in in this um, in in in, a, in this very specific area of the world, and so you become very involved in each other's lives, and somehow you know it's like the game of telephone. Truths sort of get skewed, and people are like to and innately just try to gossip to pass time and whatnot, and so. I definitely know what you mean when it comes to those sort of things. No, yeah, there were definitely people that were serving on the other end of the country that I saw maybe twice, but I I knew everything that they were up to. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) For some reason or another. Yes, totally. (laughs) But, you know, I I wanted, there's a quote here that I wanted to talk about, and it's, it's like, you know, it's the days will be long, but the months will be short. It will be over before you know it. Enjoy it. And I know you said a fellow volunteer told you that towards the very beginning of your service. And I actually uh, put note in my book that a fellow volunteer told me about that during my initial PST. Could you, could you expand upon that a little bit more, that sort of statement when it, comes to, when it comes to serving? Yeah, so just for that, I, I remember the exact moment. I mean, that, them saying that was so impactful to me. And I, don't, I didn't think I realized it at the time, so I don't even know why I remember it so vividly. Um, that this was this was day one in the country, so we hadn't even really started training. There was this volunteer that they were actually in the capital COSing, like they were leaving the next day, and they had come by just to sort of say hi to all the vo- like new volunteers coming in and give us words of encouragement to sort of prove that hey, we survived two years you're going to as well, you know, it's going to be a blast, you know, enjoy it. And this woman, I was talking to her and I don't, I don't even know if maybe I asked uh, about her service and if she had any words of wisdom and we were standing on the sidewalk under this awning and she just, you know, looked at me and said, "The, the most important thing that you can realize is that the days will be long, but the months will be short, you know, savor every moment. And, and enjoy it. And I don't think I realized what she was talking about. But then about a week later, I, I knew what she was talking about. It's, you know, <laughs> from, yeah, definitely. From, from day to day, you know, you're up at sunrise and you're just wondering, is it over yet? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, you're just like, what do I do? <laughs> like, I, I can't speak the language. I don't know what I'm doing. Why am I here? And it's, you know, a lot of the self-doubt or even when like days were great, you know, I woke up and had a pep in my step and was knocking out chores and churning along. Village life is pretty simple. So I could do everything that I needed to do by 11 a.m. So it's yep. like, it's like <laughs> and okay. And then you're like, well, what do I do now? <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, I've, I've swept my entire house. I've gone to the market and like shopped for the day. I've done two loads of laundry. I ran a training and yeah. it's not even lunch. Like crap. That- that's definitely something that, um, you know, it's completely different than what we have here in the States where I, something like from serving, like you're like in this like really, really weird planet and you're just like this foreigner in, in these people's lives and their way of life and the way they do things is completely different than what we do here. And I've realized that, you know, it's so easy to get become busy here in America. Like you can occupy your time with so many things that, you know, it's, it's completely unheard of. I mean, mainly thanks to the internet. I mean, I mean, the internet, I'm sure it takes up a lot of people's time, but like when you even just take out that small component, you're just like in left to your own like head, essentially, like you have to pass time in some sort of way. And I'm sure, I mean, I would love to, for you to talk about more about how, 
how was it what was it like to realize like I have all this time like how do I what do I do with it yeah so I definitely had a lot of time on my hands since I didn't have all those distractors there was no okay well I'm just going to sit down in front of the tv and binge watch Netflix or yeah mindlessly watch YouTube videos or even I don't know just there was no going out to bars and hanging out with friends and and no. doing that stuff it's normal so it's like okay what do I what do I do with my time so I definitely set on a mission of like self improvement one taking that time to really improve upon myself and I I read a lot and developed a, a lot of good practices of exercise and and writing and journaling and just sort of deeply reflecting on what I wanted in life and even even in doing that, you know, it only gets me to nine AM. <laughs> so I <laughs> I have, I have like a, you did all this. <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay, well, I more or less went on a Zen retreat this morning and uh, it's it's you know, can't even And have, now I'm back. <laughs> yeah, can't can't even have, you know, early morning snack yet. So, yeah. So then it's really developing friendships. And I, I talked with the a another volunteer on an interview and we were talking about the, the three uh, you know, goals of Peace Corps. And the second goal being, uh, you know, sharing American culture with uh, the people of the host country that you're living with. And the third goal being uh, sharing their culture back with people in the States. And that's it's all built on friendship. So I spent the vast majority of my time just making friends and getting to know people on a deeper level, even though, like, we didn't like we had shared language ability amongst us, but it still wasn't that great. Like, I mean, I was even at my best, I was working at like a second grade level uh, in any of the languages that I was speaking there. But I got to know them on such a deep level for just like the time that we spent together just in silence or working out in their field or having, you know, late afternoon tea and just getting to know people that were so different from me, but on an emotional level and in a deep connection that that that's what I did with my time. It made it so much more rewarding and I got so many great stories out of it and experiences and friendships that I will take with me, you know, to the grave. Yeah. That's something that I've also realized as well as like more than anything, like you, you just spend so much time with these, uh, this these people or the people that you lived with in, in your village that you end up just like you don't have to do anything fancy like even just I remember reading passages where you just kind of were just like sitting down with them in moments of like just pure just pure quiet like you're just um hanging out and you weren't necessarily talking to each other but like just sitting next to each other like deepened that that relationship um I I, I remember you were talking in in your book like you talked about like sitting with um um sort of like an older woman i think it's a it's a tante or or um i might be wrong but um you, i remember you were you had moments of sitting next to her and just being just being like yeah. not doing anything just there yeah and a lot of that because i talked about that you know you would have conversations with these people and maybe you know you'd exchange you know salutations and pleasantries and get updates on their life and then it would sort of slow down just like normal conversation but there was no ability of anybody to pull out a smartphone and then start, you know, <laughs> check, checking their news no, feed. No. Yeah. So then you're just there and you're just being and you're just existing in the same space with another person 
not exchanging words and just enjoying the moment. And for me as a type A personality that had divided my life into 15 minute segments of productivity, I did not know what to do with myself. You know, I, <laughs> like I, I remember like the, the first probably half a year just sitting there just thinking of all the other things that I could be doing with my life yeah. at this very moment. <laughs> like let's optimize to the max right now. Yeah. Like all, always about like, uh, there's so much self-help out there nowadays. That's all about like optimize your life or like try to better. This is how, like, this is what you should be doing. Like by the time you're like 28 or 30 or something, and you should be waking up early and like doing meditations and all this other type of stuff. And yep. people forget where you're just like, you know, it's kind of nice if you're just there, mm-hmm. like, you appreciate the moment for what it is instead of letting your mind wander to like other things. And I have tried to maintain that. I am probably better than a lot of people that, you know, didn't go to Peace Corps and have this experience. But I, 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 I wish that I could have maintained more of that in my day-to-day life here. And that was actually sort of one of the reasons why I started writing the book as well. Because I started realizing that I fell back into America, like just America Tyler. Uh, oh, yeah. Of, it, it, this country definitely suits you back up when when you get back into the group of things, for sure. Yeah, it's like, okay, nine to five, real job, let's do it, you know, <laughs> like all, all the stuff and productivity, and but I started losing a lot of those things that I had come to love, and that was another reason for me writing the book to remember and reflect on that stuff and bring it back to the forefront of my mind and make a conscious effort of living a life of simplicity and deep, meaningful friendships and all that stuff that we experience in Peace Corps because you have to, because you have no other option. Uh, But then when you have all this option of affluence and stuff, um, to now you have to make a conscious decision to forego that. But having done it and know just how fulfilling it is, it's sort of a constant struggle. Yeah, I think it's like I, I, I think people um, don't don't see it because they have actually never experienced it. So it's hard for them to conceptually be like, hey, if you just like chill, like trust me, you're like really, it feels awesome. Like I think there's a quote here that I, I wanted to say from your book where you said, I spent most of my service either trying to live in the moment, enjoying the amazing experience that Burkina Faso and the Peace Corps afforded or trying to transcend the less numerous but sharply contrasting unenjoyable experiences. That's like uh, definitely uh, one of the quotes that I, I'm sure um, goes in hand in hand uh, with what we were talking about just now. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I wanted to switch gears and ask you about your your role or your opinion on um, sort of um, short-term volunteering. Um, you kind of mentioned it in your book about um, – you know, when you were back in your in your home village or your the village where you you trained, you you saw these French, I believe, French volunteers who were working with the local orphanage, mm-hmm. um, and but they were there at a very short term, and you kind of gave sort of a simple uh, dialogue on sort of like your opinion on short term service. I mean, we at Peace Corps volunteers were there for twenty seven months, a good chunk of periods, and me myself, I even saw when I was in Botswana you know, summer exchange students coming in for, you know, two or three months, but they were mostly in the capital at a university doing like sort of like touring around. Um, and it was completely different, you know, for us, like living in the village, like being on the grassroots ground level, 
like could you expand upon what your what you experienced with with short your short term volunteering and sort of the outlook with it? Okay, yeah, there's a lot of stuff to unpack there, which I just started getting into to the book, but I didn't want it to turn to a multi page diatribe <laughs> of of all my all of my thoughts. One I will start off with that serving in the Peace Corps and being able to give two years of your life to to service and being in another place is a privilege. It is a privilege that not everybody can experience. Uh, that you know, depending on where you're coming from in life, that you may not have this opportunity. So one, I do recognize that first and foremost, that not everybody can do what we did as Peace Corps volunteers. Gotcha. Now, for people that do these short-term experiences, I think it is good in the fact that they get out of their comfort zone, they're able to see a different culture, but having had that two-year experience, I I know, and I'm assuming, I'm not going to be naive to think that they don't realize it on a certain level as well, that their experiences are superficial. That they might have some of the one or two like really enriching experiences over a few weeks or a month, but just not to the level. I mean, it's you know, it's a numbers game. We're there for twenty seven months. Like you're just gonna have deeper understanding of the culture and the people that you can never have in a short term experience. And and some projects are are good for that. That have someone on the ground who is maybe there 24-7 uh, that is working locally with the communities and then has, you know, people come in that sort of, you know, help finance it. You know, they come from more affluent backgrounds to finance a project and they can give a few weeks, you know, giving manual labor and, you know, they walk away feeling good and they're actually able to do something that was needed in the community. But that uh, hinges on the fact that there is a presence in that community long term, like a Peace Corps volunteer or someone serving in that country that's a host country national. Projects that are sort of volunteerism are these short term things where, you know, you you go for a week or two weeks and you get all these iconic fo- feel good photos of you and the village kids and you bring a Yeah, bunch, totally. Yeah, you bring a bunch of candy and gifts and you're just like handouts 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 and everybody's happy and you're like look i did this thing and then i was at this well project and i built this well and you leave thinking oh my gosh i have given water to this community and i am the their savior oh yeah the savior complex is definitely prevalent in some of these yeah those instances drive me absolutely nuts and that was sort of some of the stuff that I was sort of getting at and getting at that frustration. Uh, But then within the book, I break into this whole thing that these two volunteers who are um, Canadian, French Canadian. Oh yes. I knew I was close. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, They were were speaking French. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Uh, They were there working with this orphanage and doing a, a short term assignment. And I get into this discussion of development versus aid and i think that that becomes an interesting distinction because as peace corps volunteers we're sort of development workers we're there long term understanding the community ideally 
and then building projects that are based on community need and understanding. The stuff that they were doing was more short-term focused aid. They were help building up this orphanage and providing just, I assume, a lot of financial support as well. And for those short-term things, for, you know, aid as in disaster relief, you know, the, the two hurricanes as of recording this that we've had in the United States, or if you have aid for a, a famine or a disease outbreak, you know, those short-term efforts, you know, that's important because yeah. that that doesn't come from a place of understanding a community because it sort of get the, you know, the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Hierarchy of needs. Those yeah. are like supposed to supply just basic needs, the bare minimum to get these people going. Yeah. Just to get these people back up. So in, yeah. the, in those sort of uh, like, I get into it that I start this discussion, but then have this realization as I'm sort of working through this in, in my head in the book that maybe they only should be there for that long. Because I think if for sort of those aid things that, it takes one. It takes a different type of person and a different type of personality. That it does take a lot out of you in a bigger emotional toll in those sort of aid situation. Because when you're at the level of aid, you know it's a dire situation. You know they're on the brink, and totally. And maybe that that is very fitting. So I don't know if that's a good answer. As I said, there's a lot of complexity and thoughts there. Yeah, I mean that, that you can write a whole blog post or an article. I, there's, just there's, by itself. There's that. probably <laughs> there's probably books about it, like whole yeah, co- whole courses on, on on development versus aid and volunteering and structures and models. So, and I am not an expert. So anybody who hates anything that I just said, leave me a comment with a caveat <laughs> that these are my personal feelings, and I'm okay if you disagree with me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um. And but so with that along the lines, I mean, um, I mean, I'll. We're like, you know, you're coming in from um, a Westerner's perspective, coming into this village and um, you were you were with what the third volunteer as you came in. Right. You, I know you you kind of mentioned a, a volunteer before you came into your village, the one who served before you, who was like this, like lights out language guy. Like he just knew all the languages and everybody loved him because he knew all the languages and mm-hmm. you barely spoke a lick of French pretty well. Um and you you came in and what like what you know what was your process for you know what how was the gauging the situation of the village and how to how to see where help was needed but at the same time like you said you don't want to give out handouts people are not looking for a savior um they're like how do you how do you gauge like how to where where's a good project and where's like could be where success could be Mm mm-hmm I mean, it all goes back to those friendships of building those connections on a real level. And then when you start to develop these friendships, working first with your friends, you know, work with the people you know and start from there or start asking them questions and the family you're with to get a real sense of the needs of the community, the projects, and not only the need, but to make sure that you can fulfill that need and like, you know, you you can't do everything. So what is something that you can take on and just move it one step further? You know, what are those small successes that you can you can see and, and move along? You know, is is there something that you can address given your skill set, your experience, or maybe just your stubbornness as a volunteer? <laughs> They're like, well, I'm just going to bang my head against the wall until I, maybe I can get this and to work. See, and see yeah. what happens. Yeah, which, which yeah. you know, is 
that's sometimes all you can do and that's that, <laughs> that you know trying you know showing up is half half the, half uh, the battle half the battle and you showed up so just keep showing up uh, For sure. so, so that's yeah that's how i approached it and i sort of backed in to a good way of being a volunteer because i wasn't like this language genius you know i i came in and knew you know good morning uh, like, basic greetings <laughs> yeah like i knew two greetings in french and i knew the word for grapefruit which was pamplemousse like hey I, man it, i was i'm right there with you like i i'm not i was my setsuana was not that not that great like mm-hmm. when we had language sessions during our training like you know we have midterms like here in the states like we had midterm languages like in 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 botswana and I clearly failed my first language test, and I was put in like in a lower tier class for obviously the slower group. So I definitely know what you mean because like in in bots, like I just spoke like the the greetings, and then they we went straight into English just because that's what people are used to. Yeah. So I Sa- know what you're talking. About. <laughs> Sa- sadly, I couldn't default back to English because there was no English. So it's so, oh so, man. <laughs> so I I fought my way through French. I even actually um I got held back. So I actually swore in as a volunteer a week later. I got held. That's back. right. I was I was chuckling a little bit when I read that part of the book because I definitely remember those individuals in my cohort who like we were just like we thought it was like a big deal at that point where it's like oh man they have to stay back another week or so in in their training village when you know in the whole grand scheme of things it wasn't that big of a deal. <laughs> yeah, and I I don't really like. It's sort of funny like looking like. I don't think I was any better at speaking French from the start of that week to the end of that week, but they they just they were like, okay, good enough, like go, go, yeah, go, go. They're to just your, like, let's let's cover our bases enough to let you to make sure that we didn't necessarily just quit on you. Yeah, we we tried. It's, it seems like you can buy food and find the way back to your home. So okay, you're you're fine. Uh, um, but I got put, you know, sent out to my village, and I I progressed with French, and I I actually became pretty decent at French. So uh, in DC for my first year here, I had a, a French speaking roommate actually from France. And then I would talk to all her friends and her, like her parents came and stayed with us and I'd have these full blown conversations in French. So actually- They must have been so impressed by you, yeah, Tyler. <laughs> yeah. So I can, I can actually speak French now, but I, after fighting and clawing my way to speaking French, there, I, I wasn't going to learn another language. I wasn't going to learn local language. And there was only so many people in my village that spoke French. So I focused in on them and I worked with them to say, okay, we're going to do this project, but we're going to do it together. And yeah. how it's going to work is I'm going to work with you to make sure that you have everything you need to do for this training. But everybody that needs to hear this training um, doesn't speak French. So you're going to have to lead the training. Like it's all you. Or maybe yeah. or maybe I would lead, like do it in French and they would be up there translating for me, uh, which I tried to stay away from. But it was actually the best way for me to be a volunteer because the whole time I was just empowering other people to do this stuff. Like once they did it once, I didn't have to be part of the equation. So I, yeah, I mean, it was definitely the buzzword that they use in Peace Corps called capacity building where you're, you're helping build an individual instead of like, you know, it's sort of, it goes back to that norm. Like, you know, you can bring the horse to the water, but you can't necessarily teach it how to drink. It has to drink for itself. And like, I definitely, I, I don't want to claim that like, oh, I knew what I was doing all along and I did this, it was planned. No, it was out of necessity because I couldn't 
speak Jula well enough to you know say more than like I want these tomatoes. How much are they? So I I couldn't like lead a training <laughs> on malaria or hygiene. So I had to do it that way, and it just it worked out. So anybody who's listening to this who is thinking about Peace Corps or is a volunteer, uh, set up those scenarios for yourself. Find people that you can work with and have them be the teacher. And you know you just hang out in the back of the class, make sure you're there, you show up, and you encourage them and that's one of the best things you can do. For sure. I mean, do you, I mean, looking back upon it, do you and the way your progress, I mean, your projects progressed and developed, like do you think 2 years was enough time? No. Uh I probably would have stayed uh another year. Um I would have stayed another year cuz you know you have to make that decision uh, yeah. around, around COS like 4 or 5 months before you come you to leave the, yeah, before yeah. you leave and at that point so i had done masters international which no longer exists so i had started grad school did oh it, it does it oh i yeah, did not know that yeah yeah they they, oh, they no. got rid of that program uh, we can that can be for another discussion yeah uh, totally but uh so i had done a year of grad school the plan was to go to peace corps for two years i actually ended up picking west africa for because when it left in june and i would get back in july and it would time up well for me starting in the fall semester to then graduate in the spring so it's like why well, i i, I got to go back i it was only i was going to do two years and then finish grad school so i like sort of felt that like i had to leave you know i did two years but right when it got to the end, you know, that last month, I was like, I don't, I don't want to go back. And it wasn't that I was, yeah. you know, fearful of going back to the States and going back to that life. It was just like, I finally just feel like I know what's going on. And all yeah, my, like you finally hit your groove. I mean, I felt the same way. Yeah. Like all my projects are going so well. And like, I know for a fact that like 80% of these, if I leave, they're, they're going to fall apart. But twenty percent of these have like a, <laughs> have a fighting chance of like really becoming something, so I'm I'm scared of leaving. Yeah, definitely. Like it's I felt like very similar. I'm sure a lot of volunteers feel the same way. Where you're like you, your second year is where you really hit your stride. Like I remember you you put in your book like this this uh, this chart this like where it was like a curve going up and down in terms of like the emotions that you experience during Peace Corps where you have this like really high during training and then you're kind of low at your six months but then kind of high at the second the second year mark and it kind of equals out as you go forward because like that's when you feel like you hit your stride because you went through all these like growing pains like your first year just trying to establish those relationships like you said earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, did you actually have that chart in uh, your training? Yeah, I think it's like a universal Peace Corps chart. I'm pretty sure I've seen it like during our training. Yeah, training. yeah. I, I originally had the uh, the actual chart that was given to me that I scanned. Oh, in there. you did? <laughs> yeah, and, and put it in the book. But then I asked a lawyer friend. I was like, uh, "Am I going to get sued?" And he's like, "Well, it, I think it's government property, so it's Pretty. Prob- <laughs> probably okay. So it's reproducible." It's like if you could just draw it out, like that probably yeah, be better. I <laughs> so I was like, "Yeah, cur- yeah, sure. I, I can I can doodle this out, and it'll, it'll look good because it's in my you know handwriting. Oh. It'll make it look special." Oh man, yeah. I mean, it's a it's um. It was definitely like an interesting time because, you know, I even tell people here that, you know, behavior change is what's, I mean, something you some, some did similar where any, you're, when you're instilling behavior change, it's probably one of the hardest jobs on this planet. Like to try to change the mindset of another individual um, that has been doing the same thing for generations. Like I think, you know, probably because maybe the marketing, the P, marketing of Peace Corps or like the way uh, Peace Corps is sort of set out where you're like, 
like we, you talked about earlier, where you're coming in and you don't want to have this like savior complex, like because at the end of the day, like you're two years within these people's lifetimes is like minuscule. Like you're just really a blip on their whole life. And so, like you said, like you just gotta, you gotta sit down and just talk to these people because, because at the end of the day, they just want someone to talk to, maybe just a friend or someone to commemorate something with. And so I know exactly what you mean in terms of like two years not being enough time because you just built up all that equity that first year trying to implement any sort of change, Mm -hmm. essentially. So I know what you mean. Um, I wanted to I, I wanted to ask you a couple more. Um, one, yeah, one ho- was hopefully people are still listening at this point. We're approaching the hour mark, so hopefully we haven't bored people to death. You know? Oh God, yeah. I mean, <laughs> people are like, "Please shut up now." All right. Um, I'll, I'll buy the, I'll buy the book already if you'll just stop talking. <laughs> just stop, please, for the love of God. Um, all I have to say, okay, uh, we'll, we'll just end with like one one last question. Um, dude, I read, uh, I know you took malaria tablets while you were there. Yep. Um, I took some malaria tablets every now and then, but I lived in the southern part of the country where malaria wasn't that prevalent. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people in north of Botswana had to take it because they were over this malaria line. But man, I, got, I know you were talking about some gnarly dreams that you had from malaria tablets. I had some gnarly dreams as well. And so I wanted to end this this interview with like well what 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 was the most create like what was the most weirdest dreams that you got from these malaria tablets yeah so this the malaria tablets they were taking were methylquin which yeah oh my like, god which peace which peace corps may not give out anymore uh like <laughs> methylquin even when when i was in peace corps and taking it it was sort of generally known that Every single aid worker from other countries, like they, they weren't allowed to take this stuff because it, it, <laughs> it was just understood that, like, yes, you won't get malaria, but you might go insane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I actually didn't have any one dream that I remembered, which was the craziest thing. I would, I got into this this period of time which I talk about in the book where I was going through some stuff and then the methylquin piled on top of it where I would wake up at like three in the morning just in a deep sweat and panic, like a, a, a panic and dread worse than I had ever felt, like just just scared to the core. Like I had just seen something or experienced something that like I could never forget or shake, but I couldn't remember what it was. I was just left with this general feeling and I was waking up with that like every single day for two, three weeks straight, which doesn't doesn't do well for you if you're waking up at three in the morning and then have to be, you know, go about the rest of your day. So I would just lay in bed, just afraid to go to sleep. And so that was one thing that was just completely messing with me. So I don't actually remember the dreams. Uh, but then I started having these sort of hallucinations when I was awake that I would sort of see things out of the corner of my eye Uh it was like sometimes when I was in my house, and I just thought, "Oh, it's a it's a bug on the wall," but there were never bugs on the wall. And then it started, oh man, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then it started happening when I was like outside too, and it was just like, "Okay, I am I am actually seeing things now." So it's uh, it's, it's Peace Corps gave you drugs, man. Peace yeah. Corps gave you drugs. <laughs> so it's like, well, it's it's time to switch to a different medication, which yeah, which they did. Like once I told them, like, look, this is what I'm going through. They're like, okay, we will have a new prescription for you on a truck tomorrow. Yeah, I I took I took methylquin a couple times, and as soon as the weirdest, I had one gnarly dream that kind of freaked me out. Where I was like, 
sitting and watching two people on a bench. And there was a guy on one side and a, and a girl on the other side. And then all of a sudden, this like viney type of thing started sucking them all up. And I'm like, I just woke up and I'm like, nope, I'm done with this. I'm totally done with all this. So I think they switched me to like melanin after that. So it's, um, it was good. <laughs> yeah, they totally sw- good. they switched me to uh, doxycycline, which you had oh, to take. No. I had to take every single day, which was a little bit worse rather than the once a week. You had to take with plenty of water and food because if it got like stuck in your esophagus, like you just like burn a hole through it. Holy crap! <laughs> yeah, and and then it for some people, which it did to me, it made you sensitive to light, which is real great in sub-Saharan Africa. <laughs> yeah, so I, so I went from having a tan to like breaking out in a rash every time I was in the sun. So, oh my god! Yeah, good the, good, good times. Well, only good times, only good times. But all right, Tyler. I mean, this is all this is all we this is all I have for now for for the hour. Hopefully, people are still around, like you said, and. uh yeah, man. I, I, I just have to say, people, if you're listening to this, go buy the book. It's uh, you, uh, more than anything, you'll just uh, you'll just understand a lot. Like, um, I think, um, beautifully written book, my friend. Um, highly recommend it, especially you know for um, for return volunteers. Like, it's, it's filled with nostalgia and side issues and bouts with internal dialogue and all that type of stuff. And then for like current volunteers, it's like feeling of that company of a person that's like gone through it, like gone through what you're going through and you're not alone and then even for future volunteers that you whoever's listening to this gets inside of like what to expect from serving and the unedited version of what service could be so you can mentally prepare yourself and then you know more than anything for for everyone else like it's a small window on what it's like to live and work in a developing country and just not merely traveling through it or backpacking through it but like actually living amongst the people and experiencing life with them for a short period of time with the all the complexities that go with the notion um, that's even just past the the fact of just like not having completely running water or electricity or something like that. Well, I so, I, I thank you for that, and I would love anybody to you know check out the book and and read it and let me know what you think. Like actually, you know, you can shoot me an email, go through my peacecorestory.com. Definitely leave me a review on uh, Amazon or Goodreads because I've actually so I've, I wouldn't call them negative reviews but now i've have i have two three out of five stars from different people one on goodreads and <gasps> and one on oh, amazon yeah I'm so just kidding <laughs> yeah so i'm not too heartbroken but like some of the stuff that they said i was just like come on really so i <laughs> I, I, I i really want to know what other people think like if, if you really thought that it was like a one out of five star uh, maybe shoot me an email and let me know. And, before, before you give it one out of five stars. <laughs> yeah, like give, give me maybe give me a chance to redeem myself. I'll you know, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I would just love to hear what other people think uh, about the book because I did put a lot of my my heart and soul in into writing it. So I I, yeah, well, I, I wrote it to, wrote it to share. Yeah, well, hopefully this episode will um, give people develop help people develop a little more empathy for especially the writing process. I mean. Four in the morning, man, and then you're just cranking away trying to get through writer's block. I mean, it's uh, it's no easy task for sure, even just writing a book itself. So, yeah, yeah, I finished it, and someone asked me, he's like, so what's the next book going to be? And I, I just, I wanted to, I wanted to punch him. I was like, don't, don't even talk about that. <laughs> yeah, it's not an easy thing, folks, to to write a book. There's a lot of time and talent that goes into it. So, um, yeah, man. Hopefully, maybe in some time in the next future, we'll 
have the privilege of uh, seeing another book by Tyler Lloyd. Well, well, thank you. So yeah, thank you for uh, taking the time and I've, I've used up a bunch of your your evening. So we did your interview now doing this, but I thank you for taking the time to, to talk no with problem, me about, man. about your service and then now my book. Awesome. I'm more than happy to do it. I'm just, uh, it's been good. It's been fun. All right. We'll talk to you later. Thanks, Tyler.